y'all. It's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Today is a very special episode of Peace, Love, and Baseball because I am joined by the one and only Kim Bird. Yes, boys and girls, my mom is here. Hi, mom. Hi, Kelsey Marie. How's it going? <laughs> How you feeling? Hey, I'm feeling uh, ready to talk and share and maybe have a few giggles. About Peace, Love, and Baseball, right? Exactly. My favorite podcast. Now, not only is Kim Bird a lot of fun. She is also now now a retired teacher of 30 plus years with an expertise in early childhood education and child development. So we are going to have some insightful conversation, not just for parents of young children, but parents of all ages. And even if you are not a parent, a lot of what we have to discuss is applicable to us at all ages and in all walks of life. So I'm looking forward to what we uncover in our conversation today. But before that, You may recall, as I have mentioned on the podcast before, that Kim Bird is a Cubs fan. Now, now stop those hisses and boos. Don't press pause just yet. All are welcome here at Peace, Love, and Baseball. Most importantly, her poor taste in baseball teams didn't have a detrimental effect on me, so it's all good. But mom, will you tell us a little bit about like your family history as a Cubs fan, why you are a Cubs fan? Uh, I know your grandpa was a huge fan. Both of your parents were big Cubs fans or are big Cubs fans. But how do you remember that? And like, how does it live on in your family still today? Both sides of my family were Cub fans, unlike your family where daddy's side was Cardinal, mommy's side was the Cubs. But both my mom and dad's families were big Chicago Cubs fans. And there there was no question as who you were going to be cheering for for baseball. Uh, to this day, there's still no question for me who I will be supporting and cheering for come uh, come what may. I mean, it will always be for me, the, the Chicago Cubs, the Cubby Bears. And that's, and, you know, that's something to be admired because you've had a lot of outside pressure, obviously. Yeah, you think so? A lot. <laughs> My grandma, your mom, was a very big Cubs fan, and she got to see that 2016 World Series team, and that was passed down to her, like, from her dad, right? Grandpa Bernie, yeah, Grandpa Bernie, my Grandpa Bernie, her her dad, and um, I mean... in over the years, that is how I became so very close to my grandpa. I was his uh, oldest granddaughter, but that is, we taught whether we were talking baseball I don't know, things about Galena, Illinois, where he was from in that area, but it always turned back to what the Cubs were doing that day. Were they losing? Were they winning? Um, what was being said? Who was the announcer? Uh, can we go to see the Chicago Cubs? My grandpa never went to Wrigley Field no and way. was in his uh, 70s. Oh, Wow. My dad and my mom and I think my older or brother and sister and myself, I, I was like 14, I think, 13 or 14 before I went to my first Cubs game. Uh-huh. And it's because my dad and mom wanted to take Grandpa Bernie uh, 
his first ever Chicago Cubs game. So I'm thinking he was probably yeah, in his early 70s when we took him. And it was oh, such a big event then. Yeah. You know, drive up there and we we had to stop, find somewhere, you know, up near there to uh, eat, you know, and it was, you know, just to pull off. I mean, it wasn't Hardee's and McDonald's and Wendy's and stuff so much. We had to go in and sit down and eat somewhere and then go find a place to park. Oh my God. And just get near the stadium and get into Wrigley. And, um, you know, we probably had midfield seats. I'm going to guess, I don't even remember, let's just say mid uh, outfield seats. I don't remember ever having really anything to eat or drink when we were there. I don't remember if you could bring in your own water or anything like that, but, you know, spending a lot of money at the games wasn't, I mean, we were, it was a huge privilege just to get to go. To the yeah, game. for sure. Yeah. And so, but I do, I do remember my grandpa being really, really happy. And I can't even to this day, remember if they won or lost because honestly, as a Cub fan and going to <laughs> It doesn't matter. You are <laughs> at Wrigley Field and you are there to watch your team, the Cubs, play ball. And if you've ever been to Wrigley, I mean, it's an experience. It's um, it's it's history. It's huge history. So and then, you know, after my grandpa passed away, my mom is still such a huge uh, Chicago Cubs fan herself. And like you said, the World Series finally happened. I think my mom was ready to ditch the Cubs. <laughs> she, she actually said to me after watching them never win and being supportive all these years for all of my family, and they never got to the World Series the whole time my dad was alive. And then I was just about ready to ditch them. I said, they're not going to do that to me in my lifetime too. So she was about ready to go like L.A. Dodgers or I don't know what, but it was not. Gonna, she was yeah, because she followed them very closely. I mean, she knew yeah. everything about every player on the team for years and years. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, no offense to the Cardinals, but there's no way she could have gone to the St. Louis Cardinals. No, you can't do that. You can't be a Chicago yeah, no. fan all of your life and then go, you know. Uh, no, that's Cardinals. just not right. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I never did that either. No, no, we don't do that. That's fair. Uh, to this day now, we've got Grandpa Kenny and he is, I'm going to say at this point, just a fair, fair weathered Chicago Cubs fan. They've yeah, because just- he was 80 years old when the Cardinals, or I'm sorry, when the Cubs won yep. the World yep. Series finally exactly. in 2016. After a lifelong of the emotional roller coaster. Yes. <laughs> being a Cubs fan, yes. he finally got to see that. And so, yeah, these days he's just kind of watching it when it makes him feel good and turning it off when it doesn't. That's pretty much what he does. Yeah. He'll, and he told me that just the other day. He's like, well, you know, I might turn him on the first couple innings and if it's going well, I'll leave it on. If it's not going so well, I just turn it off. <laughs> or if he said, he said, I'll see you on my phone. Oh yeah, they're doing well. They're up three runs. I better go turn it on. And then he, he can get into it and stuff. But, uh, you know, like the last here, the Mariners with uh, Miami. Or the Marlins, yeah. I'm sorry, the Marlins. I just, no, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> It'll just break my heart again, you know, without him saying that. That's right. That's what he's saying. So yeah, take the good, a, leave the bad. I like so, that. But if, I mean, if we're over there, you know, Aunt Karen and I are uh, over there watching the game and getting excited now with them, then uh, he's. Then he then he's really into it. And he'll yeah. Like, I'll even want to have a beer with you. Then you're like, well, let's get the beer out. <laughs> We're watching let's the game. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's celebrate baseball. 
so your sister, uh, one of your sisters, one of my aunts, my aunt Karen is probably, I mean, she's the biggest Cubs fan I know. And she's still she, very much, she's, she's with them hell or high water. Oh yeah. She, she is you, but a Cub fan, you know, like she is such a nerd for baseball and she can tell you everything about baseball, all the new rules, um, the terminology, which I think is really fun when you play those games, by the way. Yeah, she knows about all the new players on the Cubs. Yeah, sometimes she will text me about like trades or signings and stuff before I've even heard about it. And I keep up with all that stuff very closely, like baseball wide. So she's in it. Yeah. And then of course, her son, Cameron, Cam, he and her husband, Ron. Yeah, they're just Chicago Cubs fans to the hilt. I saw she was wearing this yeah. sweatshirt the other day, which like, obviously not my taste, but I thought the sentiment of it was very cute. It was like the Cubs blue sweatshirt. And it said, I'd rather be at Wrigley. Exactly. I Isn't that, that. that is so Aunt Karen. That is yeah. So Karen. Yes. Well, I know that you've been keeping up with the team a bit more recently. So as we are going to venture to London as a family in I mean, just over a month now, it's getting closer and closer. So we're going for the Cubs and Cardinals series in June. Who are your current favorite players? What are you enjoying seeing from the Cubs right now? Probably since I'm going to be really honest here, I've only watched probably three full games. I watched, I'm really excited about, well, Nico Horner, he's, he's just a fave for sure. Yeah, he's been a fan favorite for a while. Yeah, yeah. He's been, he's like, come, come back fun Cubs player, but my new favorite is our catcher. I think since, you know, you guys Cardinals took our Contreras. Um, I'm about a Jan Gomes fan. I think he uh, he's, I was telling you before we started recording, he's actually Brazilian American. He looks like he is showing up every day to play and have fun and make some smiles on the team. And um, I like his attitude. And, you know, that's that's another thing that we can touch on here is, you know, we've been talking a lot about vibes in general, and that's kind of our angle more on this podcast than than others. Like the stats are interesting. We like to learn more about those, talk about those, dig into it sometimes. But but overall, the vibes are are going to dictate a lot of the conversation and have seemed to dictate a lot of the play so far, especially in the central division. So we're going to leave the Cardinals vibes alone and just hope they work themselves out for now. But tell me what you see in the Cubs clubhouse and in the, the vibes that they got going on right now. Cause it seems like it might be a little better over there right now. Well, I mean, it, it has you guessing if nothing else, right? Like what is it that uh, a brand new, for the most part, new team, you know, you've got a handful of guys returning that are, you know, starting and doing really well and a slew of new pitchers and things. So what, what is it starting out that, uh, that Rossi's bringing? What is his attitude of uh, toward his players and his team every day bringing? So I'm a top down kind of person. Like I feel like, you know, it starts with that manager and, and uh, the office and who, what is coming down to the players and then their attitude to show up every day. Why is it um, that they want to play their very best ball. And even though you say in your head, oh, I'm going to come in out there today, I'm going to play my very best ball, I'm going to win, my attitude's right, my head's on right, you know, but what is it collectively? You talk about the vibes, the culture. Yeah. I think it's more important than anything. Yeah. 
And it has to be there every day. And I think we've not watched enough, not just baseball, but teams in general, professional teams, so to speak, that when they win that final big trophy at the end of the year, whether it's the World Series, you know, the Super Bowl, whatever, what did they do? What did that team do all year long? The the stuff you can't track. Exactly. And what is the number one thing that they all say? Yeah. They played together like, um, like a family. They came together. They got to know each other. You know, that guy mattered to me. Yeah. How can you help him? How can you help me? How are we all feeling the same here? You know, the vibes, my friend feeling good. What, how can I help him out? I don't know. And I just, that is almost a big societal type thing too, you know, like, uh, what, how, how are we treating each other every day? Um, and you got it, you got to own it. Are you doing it every day? We're really working hard every day to bring that same level of play and kindness and culture to the team every day. Yeah. And that word play, we're going to dive into that, uh, deeper here in our, our main topic of conversation today, but, I think that that's a really good angle to look at it from of like, yes, it's their job and they're at the highest level, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to execute and results matter, but there still has to be that mentality of like play even then. And to some extent, almost taking it too seriously or overanalyzing it can often, that's what kills the vibes. And I don't know if I were to say like what I'm seeing with the Cardinals right now versus what you're saying is going on with the Cubs. That's, that's the difference. Cause you, for example, like you think about a player like Nolan Arenado, who is so intense and intentional with everything that he does. And he's been really struggling lately. And when just in the moment, when you look at him, like your read on that and the way that it makes you feel is that like, he's almost like trying too hard, you know, like the announcers, like one of their favorite things to say especially Jim Edmonds is like, don't try to do too much. And that's, it's like that, that's, that's doing too much (laughs) and where it doesn't serve you. And it's almost like overanalyzing versus just relax and win and all of that kind of mentality with it. So I think that's a really interesting angle. And I think you have to be careful too, or you can't just say to somebody like, um, to uh, Aaron, like Arenado. Yeah. Can't just say to him, Oh, just go out there and play ball. Just go out there. Right. Right. Because um, first of all, he's playing a professional game that he's been trained for and worked for very, very hard. So he needs to be tr- treated like an expert in his area, right? right? And a professional. So, um, you know, what are some things that need, need to happen for him as a player? Not my area of expertise, but I think like a club should be, and maybe, and they, I'm sure that they do all that. But, you know, where he needs to be able to express maybe, oh, this is how I'm feeling right now. And I'm maybe this is what I need. I don't know. So, yeah, where it's more than just the mechanics or the analytics and the numbers. It has me wondering. Yeah. Well, Kim Bird and I are going to be attending the first Cubs versus Cardinals game of the season on Monday, May 8th, next week at Wrigley Field. We've got pretty sweet seats. I'm excited. This is going to be the first game that Wilson Contreras has ever played against the Cubs. So what I want to speculate on before the game is what do you think the stadium reaction at Wrigley Field is going to be when Wilson Contreras comes to bat for the first time as a Cardinal at Wrigley Field? Hmm. Um, 
I think it's going to be a mix of cheers and knowing my Cub fans at Wrigley, some booze. It's going, it's going to be a mix of cheers and booze. I would like to think it'll be an all stand up, applaud, cheer, you nah. know, but probably not. <laughs> well, but, I think the main reason that it won't be is because like Contreras has been pretty outspoken and has already taken some digs yeah. at his former team. And that's just part of his gameplay. It is who he is. And he he enjoys it knowing that he's getting, you know, now the opposing fan base riled up. So it's all in good fun yeah, to Chicago, some extent. Chicago fans don't take. Well. Yeah, they're not going to appreciate that for even one yeah. second. So I do. I agree with you. I think I think he's going to get booed pretty hard by the home fan base. But I do think I mean, hopefully there usually is a, a pretty good amount of representation of Cardinal fans at Wrigley Field as well. Hey. We will be there. We can stand up and cheer. And You're yeah. Cardinal Red. I'm going to be. Will you cheer for him with me? I will. Of course I will. Okay. Come on, man. Give a good tip of the cap. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So then, we'll see. I think that'll be really fun. When he comes up to bat, can I boo? <laughs> That's what we're talking about when he comes up to yeah. bat. Oh, but yeah. I mean, when he they announce him and everything, we cheer and stuff. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe the first time I'll stand up and cheer, but the second. But then you'll be happy. Like if he doesn't do anything productive is what you mean yeah can i so if he strikes out like yeah you cheer. secretly secretly i'll be you know underneath my sweatshirt going oh, that's too bad He's <laughs> well i'm sure you'll be in good company at wrigley field so i am going to ask you now to make your prediction for what you think Contreras will do in his first at bat back at wrigley field as a Cardinal. So like, is he going to strike out? Is he going to hit a home run? Is he going to get a base hit? What you got? What do you think? Yeah. He's going to strike out. He will strike out. All right. Kim Bird's prediction is that Wilson Contreras is going to strike out in his first at bat as a Cardinal at Wrigley field. Yep. I am going to predict that he uh, doubles off the Ivy. So that's, that's pretty specific. So I'll narrow it down to like, I predict a base hit, but uh, if you care to make it interesting. Yeah. If he makes an out, okay, I'll buy the beers. If he gets on base, you buy the beers. Buy Deal? The beer. Okay. Can we get uh, the better beer, like a mango cart? Oh, absolutely. Yes. That's okay. what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Beer of your choice beer on me. Okay. Or your choice. Yeah. If he strikes out It'll or yeah, I think we'll probably have the same choice of beer either way. It'll just be who's picking up the tab. So we will provide a live update on social media for the listeners. That'll be fun. So look for that on Monday night, May 8th, live from Wrigley Field on Twitter at Kbird Tweets and on Instagram at peace.love.baseball. Peace, Love, and Baseball is brought to you by Validity. Are you a fan of indie pop rock with a touch of, say, Ben Folds, Mika, and maybe Jukebox the Ghost? then you've got to check out Validity. Validity is the musical project by the talented vocalist and instrumentalist Wesley McKinney. His latest album is titled Indivisible, and it's now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen. And it's a must-listen for anyone who loves upbeat melodies and catchy lyrics. But what makes Validity truly special is Wesley McKinney's ability to seamlessly blend his passion for music with his loves like baseball, creativity, fitness. He is not just a musician, he's a well-rounded artist who knows how to stay active and stay inspired. His music is gonna get you feeling exactly the same way. Gotta turn it up. 
So whether you're carpooling to the ballpark, maybe getting a workout in, or just looking for some great tunes to pump up while you're cleaning the house, Validity has something for you. Tune in to this music and let Wesley McKinney take you on a journey of self-discovery and fun. Hit up those show notes and stream Indivisible today. All right. Well, thanks for spitballing on a little baseball with us, Kim Bird. Always fun to go head to head on that classic rivalry. But let's get into your area of expertise now and start our discussion that is going to center around play-based education, technology in schools, and also the use of technology for children in general, and how all of this ultimately plays into the adults that we have walking around and running the world today. Because you spent the latter part of your career really specializing in early childhood, you have taught quite literally every age. So you started out teaching high school special education, eventually moved to junior high, like sixth to eighth grade special education, and then kept working your way down to the little ones in early childhood. You have been a huge advocate for inclusion in education, and you've been honored by um, organizations like the Central Illinois Autism Association, among others, for your advocacy over the years. And I know you've been asked to share and have presented a lot of your project work around play-based learning at educator conferences and all that good stuff. So let's start by having you tell us about play-based education. What is play-based learning? Can we just start with the definition of play first? Yes. Take us back. Let's And, and a favorite quote of mine that I always had on my classroom wall, and Albert Einstein said that play is the highest form of research. Oh, I love it. So with that being said, play is something that's meant to be joyful, engaging, self-directed. It's your choice. It can have structure. It probably should have some structure. Maybe it has rules. Maybe it doesn't have rules. But there are kind of mainly four different types of play for children. There's that self-directed play um, that were ch- adults are not involved at all. It's self-chosen by children, child-led. Very, very important part of play. Um, play should also be very reinforcing and motivating and joyful for children. It's best to play when children can find passions in their play early on, before, say, five and six years of age. And if, an, and if a child like yourself, Kelsey, in some cases are uh, lucky enough, your passion gets to eventually turn into what you do and part of what you do as an adult. Right. Very, very important. Think about that. So then maybe play should also have some structure in it, but structure by the children, not by the adults. Mm. We might want to help structure their play with uh, materials and questions and things, language, Mm -hmm. but not let the children make the rules. Let them set the stage. Um, You were really good at that with me, I'd say. I had no problem making early, making rules early on. Yeah, define, define the activity and things, but yeah. Um, just think back on that. Just think about how your imagination then too, is the fourth part of play, uh, comes into play, stepping out of the real world, 
like a superhero or princesses or witches, or I can think of my three children always being explorers. You know, the bunk beds were the the mountain and mom, we need a snack because uh, we got our backpack <laughs> and our goggles and we're going to the mountain. So we need something to eat, mom. That's, and I said, okay, you know, I didn't, you know, I supported your play. That was how I did it. And I watched your play. I might ask you questions, but I let you be self-directed and free in your play. So what does that look like? Your big question was play-based education. What does that look like in the school environment? Yeah. Or in preschools in general, because we're really kind of talking about the preschool level, I think, and, and then into kindergarten. I think we're about ready to bring back play in kindergarten. Let's pray. Play yeah. Really, a lot of really good kindergarten programs and public schools are bringing it back now because they, the research is clear. It's clear about how we must bring it back. So, and, and we know that children have to be together to learn. They need each other. Put a young child with another, even just one more child. That's all you need. You don't need any fancy toys. Yeah. I don't need any, you know, games. The, they those two kids don't need adults to help show them what to do and how to play. And uh, again, if you think about that definition of play and the parts of play, self-directed, it's joyful. It makes them happy. They're using their imagination. Um, they're going to make the rules how we're going to play, what we're going to play. Yeah, okay. and that is something that is supported by research that we as humans like that we are hardwired for connection, and the way that that happens might look different. And the way that certain children figure that out might look different. But at the end of the day, it is something that all of us are hardwired for. We all need each other, period. And especially children. That is how they navigate the world. That's how they're able to learn social skills. For example, how do I make sure my needs are being met social emotionally, but then also how am I going to meet the needs of my playmates, the people I'm playing with? that mean the very most to me, you know, the adults in my life are great and, and wonderful and helpful. And I know where they are when I need them, but my playmate is way more important. I mean, you know, they, I want to be with them. I want everything I do is about my new playmate. They make me happy. They, you know, I can, I can talk to them um, or not talk to them. <laughs> yeah. You know, ch children need other children. They do. Play-based learning is really the idea that children are capable learners uh, through their own play, and we as adults or teachers support them in their play and their learning. That, for me, is the real definition of play-based education. And why is that so important to you in the way that you have run your classroom and your programs versus, like, another approach? I think... Um, the opposite of play then is all teacher directed or teacher collaborative type of play where the teacher makes the rules. She comes in and says, uh, this is just an example, you know, back to school thing. Oh, well, it's apple time. Let's let's talk about apples, you know, without any, you know, thoughts from the children or, you know, like who likes apples and talking about it. No, we're doing apples this week and we're going to count apples. We're going to paint apples. We're going to um, make apple trees, you know, whatever the teacher wants to do um, that, you know, fits her box of. Yeah. So there's a lot more control over, like, it's well, like presenting information and controlling how they're processing that information too. Okay. So the kid has absolutely, you know, little or no uh, ownership 
and right. their, or their connectivity to the classroom too. I don't get any control here. I don't get to, you know, have any say as to what's going on. Um, come to find out if you, a teacher really comes to the children and says she wants, she's thinking apples. We know again, that giving children choices is even way better than just being that, you know, the whole idea that children are a vessel or a cup to pour knowledge into that we are way past that now. We, we don't teach like that anymore. We are trying to teach children to be independent thinkers, to rarely use their imaginations, um, to think more deeply and wonder about things and to raise questions. And then it is our job as teachers, again, even as early as preschool, to say to children, well, you have that question, like, does a spider fly? Well, I think no, but I'm not really 100% sure. How do you think we should find that out? Yeah. <laughs> the kids might say, oh, um, you know, because they love their friends, right? They might say to their friend, oh, Joey, do you know, does a spider fly? Well, Joey says, well, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, spider flies for sure. But the teacher then is there being the, you know, the little supporter of, of their learning say, well, well, I don't know about that, Joey. Like maybe we we really should, you know, investigate that. So how else should we investigate that? What what where should we go? How should we get our answer to this question without telling the children the answer, right? Yeah, without just googling it. Yeah. So <laughs> if that's what the children want to do, if that's, you know, if a four-year-old says to me, well, I can just Google that. We're like, yeah, that's right. We can. We can <laughs> find that answer out that quick. Um, and then you get your answer if, you know, that's how you end up doing it. But what if another child says, well, I have a book at my house or my grandma has a book at her house. Maybe I could go ask my, you know, grandma if I can borrow her book. You know, and, and so that that's legit. You don't want to <laughs> dismiss the fact, well, we already found out the answer over here. As you're supporting all of the children in your room, you want to really encourage all the children where they're at with their learning. Yeah, the curiosity. Yes, exactly. And the imagination part of it too. I, I just think in play when children, it's important to them, right? That there's nothing more important to young children than their play. And so if you as a teacher know in a play-based play educational environment, you have got that box of standards and things you've got to check off. You know you've got to look at their social-emotional growth, their physical um, development, their cognitive, their um, self-regulation, social-emotional, we talked about that. They're, uh, the big piece is language too, their speech and language. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, foster all of that through their play? Good teachers learn to do that from observing children over and over again. And you know what? You got to play with kids. You got to get down at their level. You got to ask them questions. You have to be serious about their questions and what they're asking. Yeah. You. And it's like, this is the most important thing I'm going to do all day long is listen to what you're saying to me and play with you right here, right now. And they know that. They know that. They know when you are being authentic and really care about them. Mm -hmm. So, and especially in the early years, you want education and going to school to be joyful and happy. And right. the, the best thing ever is learning. Learning, you want to create lifelong learners, right? So how do you make, make it early learning fun? 
you know, it really comes down to that. I, I like the word joyful. How can it be joyful? Like, yeah, I can't wait to get out of bed next day and go, I can't wait to go to school today and see what Mrs. Bird's bringing. What is going to happen today? Well, that asking good questions is like such a big part of it too. Listening to you talk about this is that's being right. in that's that mindset right. to engage with them that way. Yeah. As soon as they're asking you questions, that's like magic to a teacher's ear. Well, that just drives my instruction. Oh, yeah. I know the standards I have to meet or whatever, but that, that question, that's going to, that could carry me through for a week or two of instruction. Well, and giving them choices, mm-hmm. helping them process and make choices and sparking them to wonder, to not just go with, you know, what Joey's saying, but to question and be curious. Like these are all skills that we utilize every day as adults that ultimately start and like make us better in society. And that, and sometimes adults really struggle with like even the anxiety over making a choice is something that people in adulthood can have a lot of trouble with, or, you know, you lose the joy and you just end up going through life day in and day out, not questioning anything or not contributing or asking, Mm -hmm. asking questions, figuring out how you could contribute or, how something could be different or be better. Like those are all things that start right here. Right. So if we want children to be able to do that, it's us to, it's up to us now as the adults to children to do that. And again, make it the very, very, very important, you know, acknowledge their feelings, label their feelings. And, you know, the whole idea of letting them be curious letting them be bored for God's sakes, (laughs) you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry that you're bored right now. Um, but my, I have to do this for the next, you know, set amount of time. And so you're going to have to, you know, go be bored for a while. I think that's that's a really good point too, because you need to be self-directing and telling children all the time what to do and how to do. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. More and more we're seeing, I think parents who feel like they have to have all, all the time, as much time as possible structured for their kids. Right. And so you hear about kids these days being in like 12 different activities or like when they're not playing soccer, now they're in the foreign language class or doing this, doing this. And like so much structured time that it's like, where's the play? It's okay to be bored. So you've taken away any control for the child. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. What happens when you take Kelsey, what happens when you take away control for children and then into your teenage years and your young adults years when you have no control over you know anything anything your curiosity your ambitions anything that you have an idea about just goes away what right to to you as a person you feel smaller and smaller and smaller and uh you don't you know again we talk about a lot of anxiety that uh, people have and there's lots a host of different reasons but where do you go then what happens to you, like a group of people that you identify with? And I kind of feel like maybe that, because I know you were going to ask me about that and technology, that maybe technology can be a wonderful, great thing, but also, or maybe some, you know, uh, teenagers, young adults, and even adults for that matter, if you can't play with um, people of similar values or play skills as yourself and learn, then where do you go to find that? Because we talked about that connectivity of human beings in general, we all need each other. Where do you go to find it then right now? Social media, technology. And that can be a very false sense of connection. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want, I, 
I wonder about that right now too. Absolutely. Me too. I mean, one of the things that I like to pick your brain about a lot, because it's obviously something that has evolved very quickly since like my years in school and in the, throughout this whole time where you have been actively in education is the use of technology in education. So I guess it's kind of a high level question, but just to get that conversation rolling here, what is your professional opinion on the current use of technology, like specifically in schools? Well, with preschool, I don't think children should be using technology at all. Other than if we're doing a project and Mrs. Bird has opened her laptop or her tablet, and we use that as a, a resource to find out an answer you know, but we use it together. Yeah. Um, So the way you would use a book. Exactly. Exactly. Though. I mean, that's, uh, that's how we seek out information. Um, and, and to really have that conversation, well, why are we using the computer? How did that, how does the computer know all the answers? Yeah. A whole nother big discussion, you know, um, it, it is, it's like a book. You know, that when, and you explain that differently to a, um, a preschooler as you do to a teenager. So as I understand it now, uh, there are really at high school, the high school level, there aren't many textbooks, if any at all. Right. They're carrying around, um, obviously they use their um, tablets and Chromebooks and computers, but um, technology is used uh, within the classroom as uh, smart boards and interactive boards. Teachers use them um, for interactive reasons to, you know, bring up the internet and um, project their materials onto a screen for teaching with children. Yeah. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's great. It's more efficient. There's a lot of resources that you kind of have access to a lot more affordably and accessible for everyone. But I guess it's just crazy to consider like how different kids are growing up and experiencing the world in general because of technology. You said something to your brother, and I don't think he realized this, that we are putting Chromebooks in five-year-olds' hands as soon as they enter kindergarten in public yeah. schools. Right. And your brother said to me, no, they're not, mom. I go, yeah, they are. And they're expected to use it every day. Yeah, that's wild. Um, and he doesn't like that idea. And yeah, no, me neither. A lot of people, a lot of people don't. So as a parents moving forward, if you really want play-based education in kindergarten, you're going to have to go in there and as a parent group and advocate for it because it's yeah. probably not going to happen um, in kindergarten right now. They're, right now. Again, mm-hmm. it's, um, I can just think of in play-based education, how are you, it's such, it's so much more individualized too, for a teacher to really get our eyes on how children, how each individual child is learning their learning style. And for that five and six-year-old little boy who just can't sit still, they truly have ADHD. Let them have ADHD. Let them swing their legs back and forth and back and forth and be up and down and up and down all the time. As long as they are not, you know, causing any physical harm to themselves or anybody else in the room. Their just body is in constant motion. It, it can be a little unnerving when you have 25 plus children. <laughs> you know, five of them are just all over the place all the time. But when you, when you early on learn their needs in their play, they often, again, identifying feelings and emotions and things like this, you can eventually learn to help the children 
and not you as just in the teacher because you're not out there to fix them. Right. Their friends end up helping. Yeah. Them. The environment well, that they're so in. Quit jumping up and down right now. <laughs> you stand still because I can't, we can't get this done when you're jumping up and down or go over there and jump up and down. <laughs> you know? So, or here, here's a fidget. If this is help you, they, I love the high idea of children helping each other. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the inc- inclusivity piece of it. Uh-huh. That's the world that we want to raise them to be able to exist and thrive in. Yes, it is. And when you start it early and foster it early, it's really like that with anything, but let's just talk about play-based learning and that big social, emotional self-regulation piece, what that looks like when you do it in play versus supporting it with tablets or technology. Um, Yeah. So I guess I definitely want to get more into that whole social, emotional self-regulation piece, because I think that is something that obviously like starts at this point where we're at and with the, the age range uh, that you have focused a lot of your professional career on. But before we go fully in that direction, we're always looking to give, you know, actionable advice here at Peace, Love and Baseball. And I'm sure every generation can say in a number of ways that, you know, things have changed so rapidly in their lifetime, but with technology and social media, and I mean, social media is a whole nother wormhole itself to go down, but it has just had such a massive effect on our world in such a rapid pace and none less than on education and child development. So what would you suggest in terms of limits on technology and screen time for children in the age range of your expertise? You're saying really none at all necessary in the classroom. Right. What about at home, like outside of the classroom? My current point of reference would be with my granddaughter. So um, her dad and mom have told me directly just this last week or so when we were up to see them that they've noticed a big difference in their daughter when she gets more screen time, specifically just the TV, for example. Wow, yeah. yeah, Just when she asked to watch some of her favorite, you they think are very well thought out, you know, children's programming and things. Um, But when she's, the more time she spends excuse me, behind the TV, um, her behavior seems to uh, not be so enjoyable. And when I say Uh that, she's just not as, um, we talk about the word engaging, curious, joyful, doesn't want to engage as much and be as playful, you know, get the dolls out, the books and play pretend like she normally would all day long, all time. So, I mean, your brother just recently said, to that, to me, like we've noticed a big difference in her when she, the more screen time she gets. So we, you know, even if she gets mad at us, we tell her, no, no more today. We're done. So they let her, they let her be mad about it for a while, but then she, you know, that's okay. That's part of learning. Let yep. children be mad and upset and, and identify it. Just say, oh, well, I see uh, the fact that we turned the TV off is making you mad or upset. Well, you know, what else can you do to make yourself happy or change your attitude here? Because uh, we're turning it off for a reason. This is not good to stare at the TV all day or an older kid's case to be gaming all day or mm-hmm. on a phone or a tablet. You know, you as an adult know better than the children in this case. So you get to say no to that and it's okay. Accepting the answer no, not now, is learning. Let them get upset. Let them, you know, have themselves a little temper tantrum if if you want to. But then, you know, go over and talk about it when 
when they're calm, when they're all upset and having themselves a fit, they're not going to hear a word you're saying. So you just got to wait and then talk about it and learn from it. Say next time this happens, when I say, no, we're done with technology or the screen for today, turn the TV off. You're not going to get so mad at mom and throw yourself down on the floor. Okay. Because remember what happened last time. You weren't happy. It didn't, you know, make you happy. It um, it made you so sad. You were really upset. And you may have even hurt one of your favorite trucks when you threw it and smashed it or whatever. So remember what happened. Maybe next time you can be mad and disappointed and, uh, you know, get grouchy for a minute. But then you're like, oh, yeah, well, last time mom said no to TV, I had to go find something different to do. And then I went and I, you know, I did a puzzle or I played Legos or I just, you know, made up in my own game. Went and, went, maybe I, better yet, I went and found a friend to play with. Yeah, it's hard. It's probably hard to put like hard and fast parameters on that in terms of like hours per day or whatever. But that is a really good call out that even the TV, as much as like a tablet can have that same kind of effect. And I have heard that across the board from friends and family members who have young children and Sadie, who we're talking about now is is almost three years old. But even you know, my nephews who are six and eight, uh, same thing. Like you, you notice an instant difference and change in their behavior, the way that they engage with you, the way that they process things Ooh. from directly as an effect of, of that amount of screen time. Before we started recording today, Kelsey, I was sharing with you, um, um, a, her name is Dr. Sarah uh, Gerson, and she is a developmental psychologist. And she has recently in the last few years done studies, uh, putting neuroimaging, um, little neurons and stuff on little children's yeah. heads as a, almost like as a neuroscientist herself, um, as part of her research over the last three years with uh, doll play. And she was able to, with the, with the, with the help of the neuroimaging, take images of children's brains when they were actively playing with the dolls and being able to um, use social skills and their language and things and play with the dolls together with another child or an adult. And then they did the same thing when they took the dolls away and they put a, a, like the screen or a tablet mm-hmm. in front of them, those wonderful neurons and things that were fired up in their brain when they were playing with the dolls and the language they were using went away as soon yeah. as they as soon as they introduced that tablet those uh wonderful language she called it a particular type of language kind of like that activation language that they were using to describe how they were playing again mm-hmm. emotions it kind of went away it just and she she's got further studies that she's going to do she's into like a she did a phase two that really looked at their language specifically especially when she couldn't bring the children back in to um like the science type center where she was doing her research during uh lockdown during covid so Mm -hmm. she had to pull up all that language part and she used um she called it their internal language that they were using when they were playing with the dolls and those thoughts and emotions, uh, how they were showing empathy with the dolls. Yeah. And, oh, like you need this. Well, okay. Here's what you got. And you know, they, they were able to use their language to explain what they were doing, but that was not true when they played with tablets. Yep. That is really cool. That, and really important this day and age that there are researchers who are working to put that into 
like as objective of a study as possible, because that's the information that people want to see to be able to translate into I, you know, I, as someone who is not a parent, like I, that's why it's so much more impactful to come from you, regardless of what I think or may think that I know you have raised three children. You've obviously assisted and educated hundreds of maybe thousands of children at this point. So it is, it's really easy for me to say like, well, yeah, you put the kid in front of a TV and you literally see them turn into like a zombie version of themselves. And that as a parent, like sometimes you need that. So I, you know, it's easy for me to say like, don't do that with your kids, you know, but I I can only imagine that at times you're like, that's just what I need them to be for an hour. <laughs> but yeah. the the tablet or the phone doesn't have a, a place, but it has like you were, you've, your question already suggested that it has a limited place. Right. We we have to do that with teenagers too. For as much as you think your 14 to 17 or 18 year old has the ability to turn that thing off at say 11 o'clock at night and put it away and go to sleep, they don't. Because I don't sometimes. So I can only imagine. <laughs> Me too. So there are certain, and that's where the research lies. And um, it, is what are these addictive things that are happening to our brains that keeps us you know, mm-hmm. you keep wanting to watch like me all over and over again, those silly dog reels and animal reels yeah. is it that makes, you know, I'm just smiling right now thinking about it because it really is activating a part of my brain. That's very, I really enjoy animals and dogs and how silly they are. So it makes me feel very happy and, and stimulates all that wonderful things in my brain that make me happy. But on the other hand, how do you disconnect from it? Right. Because that's one little part of your brain and it's not the part of your brain or the parts of your brain that do all those other things and develop all those other skills. That joyful back part of your brain, I'm pretty sure. And how does then we want that? I want my brain fired up all day, not just in the back. Right. Right. The whole thing. We need the whole thing. (laughs) So uh, in terms of the self-regulatory skills, which we have mentioned a bit here, I think this is another, like we could have a whole podcast episode just on that. But will you first of all, just give us a basic definition of what that means when we're referring to self-regulatory skills before we talk a bit more about it? Just think of um, our little Sadie Ann, what it's been like for her almost being three now, why she might get upset that she didn't get to drink out of her favorite Paw Patrol cup mm-hmm. during lunchtime. Um, and she just doesn't have, you know, the self-regulation skills to not get upset that, you know, daddy gave her the red cup and not the favorite Paw Patrol cup. And then so and you can see in Jacob's beautiful and Sarah's beautiful parenting skills that they're actually acknowledging that with Sadie. Hey, I see you're upset that I gave you the red cup and not the Paw Patrol one. But how do you ask without getting upset and Mm -hmm. crying, fussing and and making me feel upset too? Let's practice this. And then Sadie now, she can actually turn and say to you and almost calm, again, self-regulate herself and say, dad, I want my Paw Patrol cup. And then Jacob, his whole face will light up and say, thank you, Sadie. I will go get your Paw Patrol cup. Right. And reinforcing that we're going to work through it together and we're going to ask for it or process it in a way that then we can reinforce that behavior as opposed to. Sadie's learning that, right? She's learning that Mm -hmm. 
am. I feel upset about this. And, but I'll wait. I took a deep breath and I, I had my dad reminding me to say it nicely. She's got that skill, right? She, she, she gets to be four. She gets to be five. She goes to school, you know, Meredith knocks down her favorite book at school when she's in uh, kindergarten and instead of, you know, getting all upset about it and, and having a fit, she says to Meredith, yeah, I remember this. I, my brain remembers this back yeah. when I was little. Meredith, that made me mad that you knocked over my book. I would like you to give it back to me now, please. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what she wants Sadie to be able to do at five and six years of age. Right. It just continues to grow. That self-regulation. You're not asking her never to be mad or upset or unhappy. Yeah. Things. You're asking her to as she grows and develops and is learning to regulate it. To acknowledge and process. She's already learning. She's already acknowledging it now. So we don't ever let children acknowledge emotions and feelings and more importantly, just label them, label them early on. If you never got the opportunity to do that and you're an adult now, it's very hard to self-regulate and, you know, almost impossible. And, that can lead to a whole other level of uh, problems for you. Right. So how do you see like older kids and even adults then struggling with self-regulatory skills now, maybe more than ever? Well, they have to go back and learn that, right? Kelsey, they have to go back and say, wait a minute, how did I deal with that when I was five and six years old and Meredith knocked the book out of my hand? I took a deep breath. I had to remember what I, I know and what I need to be able to do. Sometimes you just got to wait for yourself too. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, and then, and move forward. And maybe, maybe, maybe that social skill of speaking to Meredith is really, really hard. Maybe you should write Meredith um, a little note Mm -hmm. or uh, think of other creative ways that you could, you know, um, let Meredith know that that really upsets you and you want, you want your book back. So that's interesting. That's something that I would guess can be developed early on as well as that self-regulation doesn't have to look the same for everyone too. Right. No, no. As um, a, a 17 year old man or a male right now, if you don't have the social skills, the verbal social skills, you can regulate, but you don't have the social verbal skills to go and tell someone that, um, Hey, you were just in my car and I asked you to put your safety belt on and you didn't, you don't have the ability. And that made me mad. Yeah. Um, this, this is just an example off the top of my head very quickly. Right. You're in my car and that's my rule. Put your safety belt on. Um, and your friend's like, eh, I don't need my safety belt. Just leave me alone. How how do you, because that that could make a guy really, really mad, very upset. Mm-hmm. That, that's my rule. It's, you know, I was told by my folks, that's my rule too. What do you do? How do you regulate that? What are you going to do next? It's that role playing again, back early mm. on. That the whole idea of you got to practice it. It's okay to you know. Um, I think we're not allowing children to even just to to be so expressive. We want them to fit inside a little box and yep. not, not get mad, not express how they're feeling. Um, but as adults, we have to teach them. You got to take the time. Children demand our time, and if we don't give it to them when they're young. By the time that 17, 18 year old kid rolls around, they're going to get it from you one way or that. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. so, it's so easy to say that, but you've got to be vested in your children 
early, early on. So that's why early childhood education uh, as a society, we've got to address it. We've got to put our time and energy and resources into it moving forward. We, we value the people that are in it too. We've got to those highly qualified people that are in it right. being taken care of fully right now, like they need to be. Yeah. And I mean, we're barely scratching the surface on the importance of all of that, but I think you've done a really good job of putting some words to, you know, these bullet points today that, that kind of hammer that home. Yeah. Self-regulation, um, as children get into their teenage years, um, was even difficult for me with, with my, with my kids. It's just, it's hard. Um, well, I think that's important to acknowledge too, that like, it's not, yeah, no, it doesn't mean you're not good at it or that, you know, you have to have any special skills. Like it is challenging, but it's important to know and to hear from people like yourself, like what, what to prioritize and what to keep doing, even if it seems like it it's not working or, you know, a different approach to try and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I guess if the, the number one thing I, you, you need to hear is it's hard work. Yeah. Hard work, but you got to do the hard work, right? You've got to do the hard work um, when it comes to that social emotional skills and learning with kids, because that is self-regulation. Your ability to self-soothe, soothe and identify your feelings and emotions, whether you're putting them into words, writing, actions, theater, whatever it might be, playing baseball, (laughs) you know, it, it, it comes out and your ability to regulate yourself comes out in who you are and then your feelings, your words, and your actions. Yes. And it's applicable in literally everything that we do as kids and adults. Whoo. Okay. Kim, before I let you go, it is almost mother's day. So I'm hoping that you'll be up to play a little mom's day game with me today. Maybe it could inspire some fun around the family table for some of our listeners maybe as well, but here's how it goes. I'm sure that you are uh, familiar with this kind of thing because it's a very like preschool age kind of thing to do at like school or daycare, but you know that those little forms for kids to fill out that are like all about my mom. My mom's name is, she is this many years old. Her favorite thing to do is, you, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, funny and cute to see what the little kids come up with. For sure. I did it. Yeah. Great. So I had your three adult children fill out one of these for you. Oh my God. And now I'm going to share some of them with you. And I want you to guess which of your three kids. So me, Jake, my brother, and Katie, the youngest, uh, who the listeners have met on the podcast. They met Katie. I want you to guess which one of us wrote this answer for you. Okay. I'm ready. You ready? Okay. So this one is, my mom always says, make good choices. Which one of your three kids do you think That's that you always say that? It's Katie. It was actually me. You! Woo! Make good choices. Yeah, it was me. Snap! My- one strike. No, we won't. We won't keep track. <laughs> but no, that was, that was me all the way. Make good choices. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> it started with me. I'm sure you still said it to Katie, though. <laughs> yeah, it's still ringing in my ears. Okay, here's another one. My mom wakes up at. 
The answer is 744 or when Charlie comes and gets her. Yes, Jacob. It's Katie. What? Oh my God. <laughs> 44 was in there. That was Jacob. I know. She she whipped that out too. The 44 is like a, a family fun number. And it Jake. kind of all started with Jake, but we all we Ooh. all hang our hats on it now. So I liked the when Charlie comes to get her, because I think that probably does dictate when you rise these days, which is lovely. That's true. All right. Well, speaking of which, this one kind of is along those those same lines. My mom's job is to do whatever she damn well pleases. One of my kids said that? Well, these days, yeah. I mean, you're retired. I'm retired to do whatever she damn well pleases. Is that that? I'm going to, I got to go, Jacob. Yes, that was Jake. <laughs> that was Jake. Uh, Katie's answer for that one, I actually liked too. Her answer for that one is my mom's job is to finally focus on herself. So thank you, Katie. That's what Katie wants for you. Thank you. I do too. Okay, here's another one. My favorite food that my mom makes is popcorn. Katie. I guess, yeah, it is Katie. I said, I guess I'm giving it away with my face that it's not me. Do you and Katie like, she likes to eat popcorn with you? I will say when she was like a teenager and uh, her friends would come over, I would, I made a lot of popcorn. Okay. And we sat on the couch with Abby, you know, back when we had the sectional in the living room. Yeah. That's what she like thinks of when she thinks of enjoying a snack with you, I guess. Yeah. We had lots of that time. Popcorn, popcorn parties, Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, I know that like dad is more associated with the dad loves to cook, but you're always contributing to the meals as well. So I know uh, your dog, Abby, may she rest in peace. Our big chocolate lab would have answered that with a Texas sheet cake was her favorite thing that you made. Ooh, she enjoyed a few of those. Yeah. We have some really funny stories of, I think there was one time you made Texas sheet cake and you put it like, maybe it was first, it was like on the deck to cool. And then she like knocked it over and ate part of it. And so then the same day she makes a second one. She puts it on the back of the car to cool or something like on the top of the back of the car in the garage yeah. and somehow it falls off. I don't think Abby actually ate any of that one, but then the third one, she somehow like got off the counter and ate as well. Like she, yeah, she was, she was a chocolate lab. So she was known for literally throwing herself on the kitchen counter and helping herself to whatever she found. She always figured it out, no matter how clever you thought you were. She was going to get what she wanted. And it was that Texas sheet cake. Such a clever girl she was. Okay, next one is my favorite thing to do with my mom is chase her around the house with a dish towel. It's Jacob. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was like the easiest one. <laughs> Yeah. The, the little boy in him that still likes to he yeah. sometimes he picks on you the same way that he picks on his sisters yeah which I think is something it shows how fun you are thank you but I think actually he it's the, the little boy in him he always yeah. has his sisters to squeal but here's the funny part Jake's ends up being the one that squeals right that's true yes <laughs> Yeah, that's what he gets from having a bunch of strong women around him. Yeah, yeah. He's used used to it by now. (laughs) Because now he's got Sarah and Sadie. Sarah and Sadie, (laughs) two tough chicks. Mm -hmm. All right. 
the funniest thing my mom does is moo like a cow out the window in the middle of the night. <laughs> we might have to explain this one. Yeah, that was my answer. Yes. So this comes from, this is one of my favorite Kim Bird stories. So it was immediately what came to mind when I was thinking of like funny things, which you've done a lot of funny things, but this is where my mind immediately goes because I don't even know when this was. It must've been when I was in high school because we moved into the house that you're in now where when I was living there in high school, my bedroom was right below your bedroom. 14. Yeah. Yeah. So I was probably about 14 and it's like a spring night. So the, the windows are open. It's really nice outside. And I, my bedroom's right below her bedroom. And I hear in the middle of the night, someone mooing like a cow. And I'm like, where is that coming from? So I open like the slider door that was in my bedroom and I, it is, it is coming from right above me out my mother's bedroom window. She is mooing like a cow. And she is saying, stop that. You kid, stop mooing. <laughs> and I, I have no idea what's going on. And I, I didn't find out until the next morning when it turns out that Kim Bird had been mooing out the window because she thought there were kids outside of our home in this very quiet residential area in central Illinois that were, I don't know, like screwing around outside and, and mooing at her in the middle of the night. But this is when we learned that there are actually probably like a quarter mile down the street from us is a, is a pasture where there are actual cows that were mooing. Well, we didn't know that at the time. We did not. Cause yeah, maybe we had just, it must've been like the first spring that we lived there or whatever, but it was, Oh man! in my defense, and dad was making terrible fun of me. He goes, what are you doing? Why are you moving out the window? <laughs> I go, I'm moving out the window back at these kids. They're pretending to be cows out there. And what a great representation of your interaction. Being playful. That's what Yeah, I'm exactly. <laughs> Choosing to be yeah, playful right back at <laughs> yeah, Okay. Uh, this one is, my mom always says... Fun makes things happen. Kelsey. No, I said make good choices. Jake Jake and Katie actually both said this. Fun makes things happen. I would like to be associated with that being. That is, if there was like a t-shirt, if I was going to make a Kim Bird branded t-shirt, that is what it would say. Happen. Especially for everyone. Like the make good choices was specifically, you know, for me as one of your children, what you always say, but fun makes things happen is your slogan. It is because that is what you you will always remember. And you learn from the fun you had. People say, oh, you'll learn from your mistakes. Well, as long as they were somehow fun mistakes. Right. Those are are the ones you really learn from. Trauma or, or make you so emotionally upset and, you know, all those other icky emotions that, you know, you really don't want those are things that your brain just wants to get rid of, but if there's somehow fun associated with it, and again, especially with learning, then you're more likely to remember it and not only remember it, but want to know more. Have you seen those commercials? I think it's like the Liberty Mutual. See, I'm remembering it's Liberty Mutual insurance commercials where they're like, studies show that people remember things or have, you know, a better association with 
people in young people having fun. And so they like show people, young people having fun at a pool party talking about Liberty Mutual insurance. But that's, I mean, there, that came from somewhere. (laughs) Okay. We got a few more of these here. This is crazy. This one is, I love it when my mom comes to visit me and takes care of me when I come home, like I am still 16. I think all of you said that. We all said something similar, but Katie said that specifically. I thought that was cute. Takes yeah. care of me when I can come home like I am still 16. <laughs> it's it's probably nice now because I'm guessing like 16-year-old uh, Katie and Kelsey, even more specifically than Jake, were probably not always so nice to you. So it's probably nice to hear that now. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to think of it that way. Yes. Yeah. This one is my mom loves me because... I am her favorite. (laughs) Which one of your kids do you think knows or at least thinks that they're your favorite? Well, you girls always say that Jake's my favorite, which is not true, but I'm going to say Jake said it. Yep. Well, you heard it here, folks. Confirmed. Jake is Kim Bird's favorite. No. Mm -mm. You know, he said it because he knows it too. I am going to share with you (laughs) what. Katie and I said, because I think this is a really like this question was such a good representation of like each of us as your kids. So Jake said, my mom loves me because I am her favorite. I said, my mom loves me because I'm the perfect combination of her and my dad. Ooh, that is nice. I like that. And Katie said, my mom loves me because she has to probably (laughs) like, that's such a youngest child thing to say. It is. Oh my God, Katie. Katie. (laughs) let's maybe because she has to okay this one is going to need some explaining as well the funniest thing my mom does is lick ping pong balls as jacob as katie actually well katie katie's played with uh you know the is this beer pong okay because i'm like i have no idea what this is yeah actually for luck one time for luck one time only one time is kissing them. You so know, kissing one time them. you did this and now yeah. it's the funniest thing you do. I guess so. I you lick a ping pong ball one time. I really don't like to play beer pong anymore, but. Well, we play I could see beer. you doing something silly like that and then blowing it into this yeah. iconic Kim Bird thing to do is to lick the ping pong ball. Yeah. Uh, well, again, just, just another call out to how fun you are because yes, Kim Bird does play beer pong with her children. Well, we, we play with water these days. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> We're all getting old. Well, just me, not you guys. But This one is the last one. I love my mom because this podcast isn't long enough to list all of the reasons, but to name a few, she is the life of the party while also being responsible and organized. She is fun. She is kind. And she is my best friend. Kelsey Marie. So I knew you would think that was me because it's spot on for me, but Katie actually wrote that. Really? Yeah. And so I I read that and then I was like, I couldn't give a better answer. So that's that's one from both me and Katie. Oh. And Jake said, because she is the best mom and Mimi ever. I am Mimi too. Aww. 
Well, Kimbird, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time and just a little bit of your talents with us today. You mean more to me, Jake and Katie, than we could obviously ever put into words, as well as to the many others that you have had such a beautiful and positive impact on. So thanks for sharing a little bit of that with us here today. I am looking forward to hanging out with you next week, even if it is at Wrigley Field. All right. All right. Is there anything in particular that you're wanting to like get yourself to eat or a special treat of some kind that you're looking forward to in Wrigleyville next week? Mm, well, we have to go to, um, is it, uh, Byron's hot dogs? There? Oh yeah. 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 Wrigley. So that's up North actually. That's a good call out. Some people might miss that. Cause it's a little bit more of like a neighborhood spot. It's technically in Buena park. It's not yeah. quite in Wrigleyville, but it's literally like a five minute walk from Wrigleyville. So Byron's hot let's, dogs there on Sheridan and Irving park. Yeah. Let's go there first. Yeah. And, um, get a hot dog, start our yeah, they have like the best hot dogs. They also have milkshakes, burgers, fries, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all the good stuff you want for a day at the ballpark. We could even park down in that area. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Don't give away our secret parking spot where we don't have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get a hot dog, then we walk up and then we might have to go to, is it Murphy's? Yeah, Murphy's, Murphy's Bleachers. That's uh, Bill Murray's token spot. So you always got to look for Bill Murray. There at Murphy's. Probably go have us at least one beer there before we head into the stadium. Yeah. I mean, every time I go down there these days, there's something new. It's just constantly developing and putting new fun stuff in there all the time. So I'm sure we'll find some old favorites and some new fun too. I think we're going to spend the day down there. And yeah, we might have to find us like, um, I don't know, one of them inflatable. Chicago Cubs things that I can wave and get excited with. That would be fun too. We'll see if I allow that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it for the Cardinals fans. Keep your chin up guys. We have got another week of baseball ahead of us and it is, it's a new month. It's May. So anything, anything can happen through 162. Peace out this week from peace, love and baseball. Thanks Kim Bird. Welcome. Love ya.